Hey, this is Ronnie again. It's another episode of Short Life Advice. Today I have with me... Brian Hoagland from uh, Schneider Logistics uh, STM. I'm the financial guy and the controller for our logistics segment. How's it going, Brian? Appreciate it for joining. Yeah, yeah it's, uh, it's a Monday morning right now. I'm so uh, happy to be with you and excited to, to go through this. I've been listening to a lot of your podcasts and... Uh, Really, I've actually taken quite a few things away, so hopefully uh, we'll cover some ground that maybe is beneficial to somebody else. I like it. I, uh, I, I've met you personally a couple times, but I, yeah, I, we haven't talked too much in length, so uh, I'm going to learn a lot myself here. So, For to guess off, how long have you been at Schneider? What's kind of been your roles throughout Schneider? And then, uh, and then maybe even before that, could you tell us about maybe – uh, what led you to Schneider, or what you did before Schneider? Yeah, that's a, it's an interesting path. I uh, I would uh, venture most people in my position probably didn't take the same path that I do. Uh, I've been here for I've been with Schneider for um, we used to go in half years because it was kind of a, a you know kind of a how many years have you been here was always kind of a, a nice um, I guess a, a way to summarize how long you know. How much you've been with the organization, but uh, so about fifteen and a half years. Okay. Um, yeah. So the uh, started off back in um, in technology actually with Schneider, and um, the lead up to that was uh, went to college actually and, and got my degree in accounting. Came out, did the uh, CPA thing, got my uh, you know, CPA, and was really interested at the time it was the dot com era in the in the mid nineties and mm. really just a, a lot of companies were coming out and really excited about technology and I actually was interested in actually taking my career directly into technology instead of into uh, accounting and finance and uh, ultimately decided to take the finance road but about three years into that the company I worked for uh, Arthur Anderson which uh, is sort of a lot of people know that from uh, from the headlines years ago but um, mm. Arthur Anderson was a uh, a large accounting firm and they were working on creating a new technology consulting practice and had asked me based on my interest in the past to help start with that so that actually got me into a technology role that we really started to focus on um, you know computer security was one of the big areas that we focused on so that kind of got me into that space um, so over the course of a couple of years doing that uh, interviewed to come up to Schneider my wife and I had decided to move the family. We had a very young family, um, had a, a one to three year old, and both of us working full time, and really just kind of took that opportunity to uproot the family and uh, move closer to being near her family. Mm. And uh, in the process, that's how I got to Green Bay, had been mm. in the Milwaukee area. I actually spent a lot of time in Chicago for my job at that point. Um, but uh, yeah, we got moved up to Green Bay and um, had a couple of different companies I was talking to. Schneider was the one that. Uh, had the most interesting, um, I guess, uh, offer. And so from there, spent some time, about five years, working in the uh, IT security with Schneider. Um, we did a lot of work. If, uh, you know, some of your younger listeners or young colleagues uh, probably heard a lot of stories about Quest. We were uh, smack in the middle doing a lot of that work from the ground up. And um, about, uh, about 2010, uh, I'd been deciding that I was really kind of anxious to get back into the finance and accounting side of the world. And so was able to connect up with uh, some of the folks in our in Schneider's corporate accounting team and made the move back to there. And so I've been in various finance roles now since then. Um, 
you know, most recently for about three years now, working with STM and uh, Aaron Van Zeeland and uh, the logistics teams here in, uh, in Schneider. So it's a bit of a, an unusual path. A lot of people tend to stay in kind of one lane, but um, I really took myself out of, uh, certainly out of my, my finance and accounting lane into the technology space and learned just a ton. And so um, interesting path to get here. Yeah, you think you, that path helped you out a, t a lot, especially coming back to a more of a finance type of role and the position that you've been in for a while now? Yeah, it's certainly, I think, you know, one of the reasons that I actually got into um, a couple points throughout my career, and this is kind of a career focused podcast, I guess this is, this is pretty relevant, but there's points in my career where we were kind of going through and we're doing this startup consulting practice that I mentioned, you know, you're kind of going out there and I was truly a finance guy with sort of just a, an interest in technology and we were going out and, and trying to advise C-level or certainly high, high executives in technology firms um, or technology roles on their technology approach where they didn't have a lot of the background and so kind of felt like we were, you know, smoke and mirrors. So really wanted to kind of get off that and get deeper into technology and truly understand it. And uh, that, that diversion certainly has served me well. Um, to this day, I think that uh, what I bring to my finance role has a lot of uh, deep roots in technology and understanding data. Um, and I think that's a, probably a unique skill that a lot of other finance folks don't possess, but it seems like the further and further we get along the technology roadmap, a lot of people are actually moving in that direction like it or not, they're being forced into it, particularly with this pandemic, right? Everybody's learning a bunch of new technology just to kind of stay connected and stay aware. So yeah, it was huge, huge help to my career. Um, and uh, you know, now I basically have kind of the two disciplines that I think obviously work well together when you're, you know, you're working with uh, uh, large data that we do with Schneider. So. Mm -hmm. As a financial controller for associates may not know, what what's your look like or like what what's what do you cover as far as Schneider and the whole S, the STM side of the business yeah that's a great question because uh, you know a lot of the folks that have been on your podcast uh, are a lot of folks that others can relate to right I understand what a seller does I understand what a what a broker does I, I and I know Ben I know Adrian I know a lot of those guys that have been on here before and um, they may not necessarily know what the controller guy does <laughs> yeah so uh, I'm the guy with the, uh, uh, I guess they call it the purse strings, the, the guy who's kind of keeping track of the beans. Um, we have a lot of interaction with uh, particularly the seller leaders and, and uh, broker leaders, uh, work directly with Erin and her, her leadership team. But it's really on uh, the incentives, we have a lot of uh, work on that, uh, making sure all the orders and everything are correctly accounted for at the end of the month. Mm. Um, and really kind of pulling all the financials together, not just for STM, but also for our, our other logistics businesses here. So it's kind of doing the budgeting and forecasting, uh, planning out what the, what the, uh, where we think the month is going to land uh, based on the data that we're reading. So uh, there's not really a typical day other than we're close, when we're closing the books. Uh, those tend to be a couple of pretty intense four or five days at the end of a given month. Mm. Um, so that's kind of the nature of the rule. I guess most people tend to interact with us if they need some kind of a, an invoice paid or they need to uh, figure out where to charge dollars to. But uh, the P&Ls that come out, uh, those come from myself and my team. And 
work through a lot of the you know, ups and downs with tempo with uh, the folks like Jay-Z and, and Brian Lewis, trying to understand what's going on there throughout the month to make sure that uh, we've got accurate results coming out of it. So. Mm, okay. So if, uh, so if anyone is listening and has any issues with getting paid, they go straight to you, right? No. Getting <laughs> uh, paid is, yeah. I can direct traffic really well, yeah. yeah. We're all, we all want to get paid, right? I, I totally get that. So. <laughs> no, that helps. Uh, um, so I let's uh, I like let's take it off course a little, little bit from Schneider. I, I like asking, kind of just feel it out here, fill people out. What's What's the first concert that you've ever been to, Ryan? Mm. Yeah, so there's a couple of concerts that were sort of county fair, but the real first one that I went to that was, you know, um, buy a ticket, uh, you know, really stick in your memory was uh, U2. They played at Camp Randall, which is um, the, the home of the, the Badger football team mm. over in Madison. And uh, I was in my sophomore year of college at the time, and uh, it was... Uh, they opened up uh, Public Enemy and uh, Big Audio Dynamite opened up for them. And, oh, wow. Um, you know, aside from just an excellent show with you two, um, I remember very clearly um, Public Enemy, uh, the bass on their show was just, kept just banging off your chest. It was like somebody's there hitting you with a sledgehammer over and over throughout the concert. Just a, a great experience. So, wow. um, you know, from that on, I've, I've gone to, I mean, I've probably hundreds of concerts. I just, uh, I'm a huge fan of live music and, um, Took a couple years off with between having kids that were too young to obviously do that, but uh, even my kids and I will go to concerts now too. So, huge fan of music and concerts. I love that. I go to a lot myself, and I'm sure the Camp Randall concerts are pretty phenomenal. And a lot of energy in those in those crowds. Yeah, yeah. It's a uh, you know, Lambeau Field has a number of concerts now, and uh, those huge open stadiums just kind of give you. A different feel. Obviously, if you're in sort of a, a local club and listening to a, you know a solo musician, it's a completely different experience than if you're in a packed stadium and, like I said, you know the the bass is thumping off your chest so hard that you. <laughs> yeah, but uh, every every different concert has a different experience and uh, yeah, you know it's obviously uh, again I mentioned that I go with my kids. We went to the uh, Little Years concert. My daughter and I went there right before the whole pandemic lockdown in Milwaukee and. Just a phenomenal experience. Uh, really enjoyed that. Um, you know, been a fan of them for a while, and just mm. kind of as a parent to start to go through that, have your kids kind of really soak it up too. It's been a lot of fun. Uh, that's the that's what I was about to ask you. What what do you listen to now? So <laughs> you already yeah, <laughs> it's it's a kind of across the board. Uh, I've always been a, a big fan of music across the spectrum. Um, you know, certainly a, a classic rock. Uh, the, uh, you know, for a lot of the time when I was in college, um, they called it alternative music, you know, but, uh, mm -hmm. it was, you know, it was Nirvana and, uh, Cracker and bands like that, but, uh, mm -hmm. you know, they, they seemed like they were kind of outside the norm, but they were always, uh, just uh, excellent music. I always like music that has you know, sort of a story to it, uh, more so than just like a, a dance beat. Uh, I, I like to kind of, uh, you know, almost listen to it like you're listening to somebody tell you a story, so... Those are the bands I tend to listen to. Lumineers, obviously, as I mentioned there, um, they do an excellent job of that. Um, yeah, even some country it. music I'll get into. And so it's really across the spectrum. It really depends on the artist. I like it. The, the 90s, actually, I was just talking to some friends over the weekend. The 90s was actually pretty underrated when it comes to the quality of music across all genres. 
uh, in the '90s. There's a lot of really really good music. Yeah, it 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 was incredible, and again, that's um, you know every every generation has their their really good music. But I, I agree with you. Looking back now, as you do when you when you look back in historicals, and I think people sort of underrated bands like um, you know, even um, like Journey is an example. Journey yeah. put out some pretty good music, not not in the '90s and the '80s, you know, but for a while there, they were kind of this. Uh, you know, nobody would listen to Journey. It was kind of that, you know. But they actually really did some, some good music throughout the years, and um, you have that benefit of looking back at hindsight with a little bit of perspective. And um, you know, I think uh, that music in the '90s now is kind of coming back. With you've had some time to get away from it and revisit it now, and it, it's to the test of time. So. Yeah, it's turning into that like classic rock. Well, I guess classic rock never really will go away. I don't think. But uh, <laughs> yeah, exactly. You start to hear into... that. You start to feel a little older. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So uh, let's see here. When it comes to books, um, are you a reader over there, Brian? Yeah, you know I've uh, I am a reader. I. I've been spending a lot of time on podcasts probably over the last year now, but uh, so kind of splitting more time between the two. And part of that is just kind of podcast or just, you know, if you're out for a run or a bike or a bike ride or something, then um, you can do that and get a little more um, sort of uh, more efficient use of your time, I guess. But uh, I'm definitely a uh, more of an autobiographical kind of uh, reader. I, I like stories about uh, certainly what you'd call business books, um, but also a lot of autobiographical type work. Uh, the Bob Iger book is, and a lot of people have mentioned that on your podcast. Um, Which one you said? The Bob Iger book. Uh, oh, yeah. 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 That's really That was cool. a huge one. Yeah. A lot of people love that. In fact, I gave that to my mom, who's um, not generally an autobiographical kind of a reader, but she just loved it too. And um, uh, Michael Lewis is a, a big author. I love to read Michael Lewis's books. Um, for those that, may not know him, he wrote Moneyball, which you know, was made into a movie. He wrote The Big Short, which was made into a movie. Mm-hmm. Um, Liar's Poker was his first book. Somebody had passed that to me back in my early career. And uh, just a great way to kind of get familiar with what happens on Wall Street and how he does a really great job of taking really, really complex issues and boiling them down into things that you can understand. And mm-hmm. so he's, he's just an incredible writer, too. Um, he's been doing podcasts lately, too, so he's actually really, really good, uh, series of podcasts. Um, so just, you know, there's, there's kind of that sort of blending now, I think of the two, you, when you think about books, you think about, well, um, you know, it may not necessarily be just authors writing anymore. It's authors telling stories and the medium may just vary a little bit, but, uh, yeah, so he's definitely would recommend that one. I've got kind of a running list of, uh, I think from actually listening to your podcast, I've picked up quite a few, and a lot of the folks that we work with, um, on Aaron's team, Ben is a is a huge podcast guy. He's always sharing podcasts, and Aaron will talk about some. And um, just a that's been a really nice uh, diversion, I think, into really kind of expanding your your horizons a little bit. So, yeah, I uh, I I tell people I compare podcasts similar to books. You know, you have auto audio books that are really popular and uh, today, and mm-hmm. but you can find a ton of value podcasts similar to the same way you can do in books and it's just an easy way to where you can I like doing it when I'm driving you know working out you know any you can multitask and and listen although sometimes when I'm multitasking or exercise I'm 
kind of disappointed because I can't jot down notes as I could if I was <laughs> if I was reading a book. That's the one issue I have with audiobooks and and podcasts. Like sometimes I find myself pulling out my phone on the note and jotting it down real quick or like a certain time of the podcast so I could go back. And uh, they're very very valuable. I've I can't tell you how many books that people recommended that led me to it and then you know I went down a certain topic or you know and most of these uh, you know autobiographies and, and and the same so any any other good podcast you listen to I I didn't know Michael Lewis had one I've I read Moneyball and I've been always wanting to read uh, Big Short and, uh, and then maybe Liar's Poker yeah those are all great um, you know other than um I'm actually trying to find that here as we're, as we're talking about it because it's really a great um, against the rules is what his is called. Um, okay. So he he's got, just finished up season two. Uh, season one was about called the referees, uh, not just within games but within the context of business and life. And then season two was about coaches, and um, he's got this kind of master plan that he hasn't necessarily committed to, but uh, as he's thinking about it is every one of these sort of roles that he's going to do a season on kind of fit into a sports analogy, but um, I'm curious to see what season three might be. Mm. Uh, but, you know, some of the other ones, uh, Joe Rogan, of course, I think a lot of people enjoy Joe. Uh, mm-hmm. Tim Ferriss is a, a big one that a lot of people will listen to. I listen to one called A16Z, which is uh, Andreessen Horowitz is a uh, venture capital firm. Um, you might have heard Ben Horowitz or uh, Mark Andreessen two pretty well-known folks. Um, Ben's been uh, authoring a couple books lately as well. Um, but their firm actually will put out podcasts about really a lot of technology focus uh, lately, some things with COVID and some of the science behind that. Um, mm. Goldman Sachs has some podcasts that I love listening to. Um, Freakonomics. Um, okay. Yeah. Yeah. All across the board. Ronnie Gibson has a, a, one out here. He has a really good podcast. Yeah, and I, uh, the Tim Ferriss is, I, I was a big fan of his just because I always say he's like the business version of Joe Rogan. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and, uh, and that's kind of, or not kind of, that's basically exactly how I designed my podcast around was, was his. Just, I, I always just loved him talking to very successful entrepreneurs and, and businessmen, writers, you name it. And then he, was just trying to dig in to see what made them tick, why they got uh, to where they were today. And so I was just like, maybe I could just do this. And for us, you know, common folk over here in Wisconsin and Illinois and, and whoever else in, in my local neighborhoods and, and uh, community. So it kind of took off from there. <laughs> yeah, well, it's a good model to follow. He's obviously had a lot of success. And he is the podcast, as Bob Iger said when he was on, uh, Tim's podcast. He said, "I, I was told if I'm going to write a book and sell a book, I got to come in your podcast. So here I am." <laughs> Any other books you can that you hand out or anything? I I love. I got into autobiographies a lot recently. I really love those. Um, uh, the Bob yeah. one, the Phil Knight one. Uh, yeah, yeah, that's a good one. That's a great one. Um, yeah, the other, uh, I mean, like, uh, so Walter Isaacson does a number of, um, you know, he wrote uh, Steve Jobs, and uh, I, I started reading the Einstein one, and that's the other thing about books with me is uh, my wife will tell you that I've got um, a 
probably about a dozen different books that I have started on my nightstand. And, <laughs> uh, so I'll, I'll find another one uh, and then go buy that, and that kind of trumps some of the other ones that are sitting there. But the Einstein one is uh, about a third of the way through that. And it's a big one. I, I read that during uh, like Thanksgiving and Christmas last year. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's, 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 it's really interesting on one hand, but on the other hand, it's like, okay, this is, some of this is fairly dry, but, um, you know, uh, when you get into the, the background there, uh, you know, he went through some pretty interesting times and just a crazy story about, about his background. So yeah, this, I, I, I wish I had more time to read, uh, and that's where the podcast come in is it's again, um, just a, a better way to get some of that data, some of that information, some of the stories, um, without, uh, without, you know, um, having to kind of sit down and actually just focus on a book. Yeah, I, I mean, in just, like, for example, the Einstein one and then uh, th- that Thomas Jefferson one is more mm-hmm. biography than autobiography, but just learning about, you know, the times before, you know, hundreds of years ago and just learning about how they live day to day and, and you think of the current polarization when it comes to the parties and we think this is rare times it's you know just very very polar people are going back and forth it just seems like this is very unprecedented right but you know mm-hmm. reading that uh thomas jefferson book it it was even cr- way crazier than it was today like thomas jefferson i won't go too in depth thomas jefferson was the the vp at the time and john adams was the president thomas jefferson writing letters sabotaging his own president at the time sending his sending out letters to uh publications to to send out against john adams and then when when thomas jefferson was going for president uh the year or the following term they actually put out a report that he was dead they thought he was dead for a good four to five days and you know back then uh, sure. Mail, <laughs> time couldn't travel. So they actually reported he was dead in the middle heat of the, the presidential race. So everybody thought he was dead and started thinking about the, the next plan of how they're going to, who they're going to vote for and, and who's the, so it's just, there was so much like shady business going on under the table that y- you would think it was just like, it's been going on for a while. This what we're going through now isn't very unprecedented. <laughs> yeah, you know, I, that was actually, uh, we took a trip to Washington with, uh, you know, with my family probably about five or six years ago. And that was really the highlight of my trip was going to the Jefferson Memorial. I, I never, never really had a lot of uh, understanding of, of Thomas Jefferson. And we went to his memorial and it really just started to, just, even just some of the, the quotes that were up in the memorial and then you go and visit the shop and you know, that's, that's below the memorial. Uh, and you start to kind of, really kind of kick me off in reading a lot more about Jefferson and uh, really, really interesting individual. Um, you know, and I can imagine the, uh, love to read that book. I should put that on my list too. I'll, I'll go get that now and it'll make other books sit half around on my eyes. Is that a Walter Isaacson book too? Uh, oh, I believe so. I- Thought he did Ben Franklin and maybe. I'm looking at my shelf right now, I'm trying to find it here. I believe it, but I, I can't see it on my shelf right now. Okay. Uh, 
But yeah, that's a, that's a really good one. Did, did you, I'm sure you saw his library. How, how cool is it getting to see his library that was essentially still put together? Uh, you know, again, just, uh, I think just in terms of a, um, you know, again, not understanding really the, the political environment at that point of, of time. Um, it's hard to understand how important, I think, what he was saying at the time, or maybe how how well it was understood. We're so used to tweets and podcasts and news popping up on your phone every three minutes, you know, and so you're just constantly inundated with news and you can imagine how different that messaging was 200 years ago, right? Mm -hmm. uh, maybe maybe 225 years ago, whatever. But uh, um, I, I didn't I didn't see his library per se. The uh, A lot of it was just around the, um, uh, the memorial and then you know, went to the Library of Congress and we're out there, but uh, uh, it's just a, the whole experience of DC, if, if you've never been there, um, especially where my kids were at the time, it's just a great experience, I think, to get out there and see government in action. We were able to actually sit in at the Supreme Court as they were handing down um, decisions. Uh, we happened to be there in June when they just sent, you know, handing down a lot of decisions. And so just being at the right place at the right time, we were whisked into the Supreme Court and sat down and listened to the justices, you know, 15 feet away from them and oh, wow. uh, had met with our senator um, 20 minutes before that and went over to, you know, toured the Capitol and just, it was just a great experience. People should definitely do that uh, just to get a feel for, uh, you know, what's out there, particularly from a, a kid's point of view as they're going through studying history and, you know, um, social studies in, in school to kind of understand how they're thinking about it, I think is... Uh, kind of a really interesting experience yeah that's very cool i'm jealous <laughs> <laughs> put it on your list put it on your list right? yeah for sure uh let's see here what if you could have a gigantic billboard brian and you could put anything on it reach millions billions of people would you put on it you know i had some time to actually research this and think about it because i've heard you ask this to other people um so I think this one actually, and I'm, gonna, I'm actually looking it up right now to make sure I get it correctly verbatim here, but um, it's by T. Boone Pickens. People that know T. Boone Pickens, uh, he was kind of an oil baron um, out of Texas and made his money in oil and switched to more of the uh, wind-based energy, I think, in his later years, but he passed away, I want to say it was earlier this year or it was maybe in 2019. But at the time he was quoted uh, as saying, be humble. I always believe the higher a monkey climbs in the tree, the more people below can see his ass. You don't have to be that monkey. And that humility, that, that, that idea to me, that's one of the things I think I would broadcast out to the world is, you know, if you think about pride and ego, um, a lot of us can get caught up in that and um, remaining humble. Um, I think that's the piece that kind of brings it all together that, that makes you relatable, that makes you, um, you know, when you're at the end of the life and um, I think that's the type of thing that people will reflect on more than, um, you know, the, uh, the pride and the, the stroking their egos, it's going to be more about, you know, who did I affect and um, how was I able to be, uh, and kind of share my, my own knowledge and my piece of the world. So that's my, that's my quote that I put on the billboard. 
I love it. It's, uh, you know, I'm sure it'd catch a lot of people's eyes too. I, I just love how, how the way he phrased, uh, just, you know, trying to, um, swallow your ego. Essentially. There is a, there's a book I really love that you know, right when I first started reading a lot, you know, five, six years ago, uh, called ego is the enemy by Ryan holiday. Okay. Yeah. And, uh, just really good book and he just talked about some you know i love his books because he, he'll go back in history and he'll, he'll take examples out of history of people who never really realized it and or people that realized it that they their ego was a big part of what was holding them back and it's huge i mean even you can find it in yourself currently like we all whether we want to admit it or not we have some uh, sort of ego, uh, you know, it's even, you can fight it as much as possible, but you're going to have it. And even when it comes down to simple reading and learning from other people, you know, you got to be able to submit that you don't know as much as another human being, you know, so it's, it, it makes you more able to listen to them, understand their opinion and, uh, that's huge when it comes to books, podcasts, uh, and just being willing to learn. If you if you don't think you have anything to learn, you think you know it all, you're not going to be willing to pick up a book or pick up a podcast. So, mm -hmm. Yeah, you really get down to the heart of what drives your decisions on a daily basis. If you step back and reflect, you know, what did, why did I do that or what, you know, what did I accomplish today and, and why did I do this or that? You know, you have to examine your intent and was it really just a matter of... Uh, you know, for the benefit of, of a larger group of people, or was it just basically to stroke my ego? And um, so that's an area that I've been focused on probably, especially in the last couple of years here. Um, I did actually, I thought I, that the name of that book sounded familiar, Ego is the Enemy. It's actually on my Amazon list of books to buy. So, um, so maybe I'll make that one. That and Thomas Jefferson, I'm going to come out here with a big Amazon bill, I think. <laughs> yeah. And uh, like, even when you think of, ego down just the smallest interactions with your significant other or even children or you know or people you know co-workers just simple interactions where you someone will say something I find myself doing this and you'll immediately want you don't like the way they said something or, or you're, you don't like the comment that they made so you you'll immediately have this urge to want and that's your ego you know it's it doesn't want to be uh, basically, you know, cited or uh, or won over, or some. It, it doesn't want other people to know that maybe they they won that argument or or, mm -hmm. or we're better at you when it comes to like a certain project that you you've been working on with somebody or, or whatever it may be, and uh, you can always find yourself. And that's what. But I'm always big on um, mindfulness and meditation, what's helped me temper my ego because then I can notice my ego about to say, hey, respond this way. You know, my wife will say something and then I'll have an urge to say something back that's, as you know, never helps the situation, <laughs> you know, <laughs> and uh, it happens in everyday life. So if I can catch myself, catch my ego in the moment, like no just swallow your pride here or whatever it may be at work swallow your pride you don't need to 
or happens a lot with customers. I yeah. on calls with customers weekly where you have to swallow your pride a lot. And, and uh, even though you think you may have the best answer or opinion or, or, or suggestion, sometimes you got to swallow your pride. <laughs> yeah. And that's a great example Ronnie. is, uh, you know, interacting particularly with external parties, particularly if it's required as part of your job is, you know, sometimes that's not only uh, the right thing to do, but it's probably your, your best answer uh, in the short term to kind of, uh, you, know, you can fight and fight and fight over something in the end. Um, you know, what are you fighting for? Um, you know, is it just to say that I was right and you were wrong? Um, so I think that uh, if we all just thought a little bit more and reflected a little bit more and were able to stop ourselves, like you said, in, in the stream of consciousness to say, hold on, you know, let me just think a little bit more humbly about my answer to this and maybe we all come to a, a little more middle ground. So yeah, that's that's my uh, that's my billboard. I'm gonna. I like it. Get into the advertising business here. So. I like it. What is what's uh you're in finance? What's one of the best, most worthwhile investments you've ever made? It could be, uh, could be money, could be time, energy, over the years. Well, I'll tell you uh, two stock investments that were one was really smart and one was really dumb. Uh, <laughs> I invested in Amazon uh, in the early days, and uh, of course, just hold on to that. That's been a huge, uh, a huge upside. Very nice. Uh, but I also invested in Apple, and when uh, when uh, word about Steve Jobs getting sick came out, the stock tanked, and I said, if I can just get it back to, at the time it was two hundred dollars a share, I'd sell it and be happy that I made my money. And if I'd have held on to it, that probably is worth that two hundred dollars at that time is probably worth. Ten thousand dollars in today's valuation. Right? So, <laughs> so those are financial investments. I would say, you know, personally investing, taking that diversion in my career into technology uh, was a huge investment. Uh, you know, from a career standpoint, I, I use that every single day. I think um, investing in my my family and my kids. You know, I mentioned earlier in the podcast we we, we moved to Green Bay uh, fifteen years ago. Uh, really, and the core of that was investing in our family and our kids because, as I mentioned, my wife and I were both working at the time. And really, the kind of the event that brought it to a head was my son was uh, he was sick all the time his first year. Um, he's probably got just an incredible immunity built up from that first year. <laughs> and um, it was uh, it, we were he was sick one day, and we both really had to go to work, and we didn't really know who could help out with you know, watching the kids because it was kind of always who's going to stay home, who's going to watch them. And um, that was the piece that we said, you know what, we got to find a better answer here. And being closer to my wife's family was our, our short-term answer. Uh, she's from this area originally, but um, you know, over time, uh, making that investment and you know, uh, it kind of goes back to that humility piece as well. As we said, you know what, we we actually uh, downgraded our home, you know, as far as uh, you know, a fairly nice home as a young two yuppies uh, raising a couple of kids. Uh, we bought a more modest home, um, so my wife ended up staying home for a number of years and uh, kind of tried to basically focus our time and our, you know, our, our money into things that would help us uh, raise strong, uh, smart, loved kids. And so I, it, we really feel not that that's an investment from a financial standpoint, it's really not one you would regret, but um, you know, all of your time and your efforts 
into something. Uh, my daughter just went off to college here a couple weeks ago. Uh, I've got a son in high school, and looking back, uh, you know, my wife and I both agreed uh, after we dropped my daughter off that that particular decision and all the work that came with it after the fact was a huge investment that we wouldn't regret. Mm. Uh, just a, yeah, I think people, uh, it's easy to kind of get uh, caught up in, you know, making buying the bigger house or buying the fancy car, um, and in the end, uh, we're much happier with the decision we chose. So. I love it. Let's see here. In the last five years, is there something you've changed your mind about? Like something you may have been passionate about before that uh, you've changed your mind? And yeah, the go ahead. So the one that really comes to mind is social media. Uh, I used to spend a lot of time on social media, and it wasn't always useful time. In fact, most of the time it wasn't useful. Um, and so I, I, I deleted Facebook and I deleted Instagram off of my phone. Um, you know, I'll still uh, go through LinkedIn and, and I enjoy LinkedIn from a uh, social networking perspective. But uh, I, I think the, the time that I wasted scrolling through, mindlessly scrolling through Facebook posts, and a lot of it was people arguing back and forth about points that just, you know, there's a lot of politics on Facebook that just, uh, just a lot of it just got to the point where this is, this is, not only is it kind of mentally draining, but just a huge time sink. You, you can find yourself, you pop open social media and you're just kind of going through a couple of feeds quick while you're maybe, you know, waiting for some, waiting for your sandwich to finish in the microwave or something, you know, and before you know it, you're, you spent a half hour or an hour just going through social media and um, there's a lot better things that I can do with my time. So. That's one of those things that I think I wouldn't, know, wouldn't say passionate about it, but I, I definitely uh, spent a lot of time doing it, and I've um, I've deleted those uh, apps, and um, I don't think I've looked back. It's been a, a nice uh, relief and a way to get more time to do things like read books. So I like it. I that's definitely. I don't know if you've seen. There's a new Netflix documentary out right now called Social Dilemma. That's pretty popular. Um, okay. And it's kind of on the same type of subject. I was wanting to ask you, how did you, how have you navigated through this through your children through high school and, and middle school? Yeah, that's a great point. Uh, so, again, being kind of a tech, um, a tech geek, I, I, I've always enjoyed the technology. I've always enjoyed the phones and the, you know, the enablement you can basically take. You think about what we can hold on our phone right now versus all the things that it's replaced, you know, over the time. Mm -hmm. And so we've we, we got our kids' phones both when they were 11, and I don't know why we landed on that. Maybe just because it's when all the other kids were getting phones. But one of the things we did at the time was we started to kind of talk to them about, look, you can put this out there. Here's your social media. All your friends have this Instagram, um, Snapchat now is uh, much more popular with them than it is with. Uh, more so than uh, you know, Facebook or, or Twitter for most kids. Mm -hmm. um, and I think that there was a couple incidents that happened throughout their, some of the kids that they knew that uh, they got them into some trouble. Uh, and it was great learning experience to say, look, you know, that's what we're talking about when we talk about posting things out there. Um, you can find things that have basically been out there forever. Um, 
somebody can take a, you know, a screenshot of your phone or uh, you know of a message that you sent and you may think it's gone forever but somebody's got a screenshot of it or what are the cases and so it's just that caution it's a it's a huge issue and i think uh, it wasn't something that we tried to scare them about but it was more of a hey think about this you know think about the the implications of that um just like if you were to say something really inappropriate in the classroom you wouldn't do that it's the same thing if you're going to post something online you really got to be careful about that because that's one of those things that you just can't take back mm -hmm. and it may haunt you for years and so again it wasn't like this draconian oversight both both kids have had social media for quite a while and um you know not going to win thankfully we haven't had any issues with it but uh i think it's just been kind of trying to be honest and realistic with them uh, it's that's a tough Tough one to navigate, though. I, I know people that have really struggled with their kids being on social media and putting stuff out there that uh, really comes back as you know, sort of a, I wish they hadn't done that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, the the documentary I, it talks about that, and then just talks about a lot of just um, you know a lot of this virtue signaling you have of kids and and. and needing these likes and and, uh, yeah. and and then how the depression especially in young women has seen a large uptick in the last 10 15 years and uh and it's just we just spend so much time and i think things like you suggested where you deleted your apps that's things that i've done before if i find myself on uh twitter too much i i'll just delete it or just tell myself i'm taking a break for a week, two weeks, and because uh, when I find myself wanting to pull up whatever social media there is, I always try to say, right as I'm having that urge, I'll try to go pick up my book instead, or, mm -hmm. or pick up like an article that I have saved, um, you know, and then that, because I know it's going to be a lot more beneficial, because there is a lot of toxic stuff can run into whether it's through politics or just you know unfriendly people or or you know just whatever it may be if, if you can avoid it there is some good on it uh but like you did educating your your children on how to navigate through it and uh and then just realize that what people say on there or do maybe isn't completely what they mean <laughs> you know as in real life uh, but it's, yeah, you're kind of behind the screen, you're behind this mask and it's, you may think that you're empowered to say all these things and it's, uh, yeah, I agree with you. It's hard to, it's hard to find that right balance. And one of the easiest ways to do that for me was just, if I got to, if it's harder to get online and view that stream of, of content, then it is obviously when it's on your phone, it's right there in front of you, you just pop it up and it's just that fast. And you make it a little bit harder then it's uh maybe you're putting more time in it and you're being more intentional about it but uh, yeah yeah remove notifications that helped me a ton uh i don't even have notifications when it comes to text so it's well, good idea if you remove those and then if your phone's sitting there you're never going to receive notification unless i open it up mm -hmm. it just removes one less thing of trying to because that's kind of what it talked about in this uh, documentary as well. As all these companies are competing for our attention. So they're going to do anything that they can to get that attention. So they're 
there's a lot of nifty ways that they've created to to get our attention, whether it's through emails and 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 letting you know that people liked you or added you or or there's someone's looking at your profile or you know whatever it may be. <laughs> so yeah, it very much drives the ego. That's absolutely you're right. As soon as I deleted the apps. Within uh, a day or two, I was getting all sorts of emails from them that you never got before because they're, <laughs> they're tracking the fact that you're not logged in. So, okay. so I just added this now to my uh, my uh, social injustice. Or is that what the, or social? Uh, I just added it to my Netflix list here. So, oh, uh, social dilemma. Social dilemma. Yeah. Okay. It's so really good one. Um, Jonathan Haidt. I actually listened to him on a Joe Rogan podcast. He uh, he wrote a book. And he's actually on it too, about uh, I can't remember what it's called at the time, but that's a really good podcast to listen to as well. And Jonathan Haidt on on Rogan, I think he's on there a couple times, but okay, he just uh he wrote a few books on the subject and and uh, is a good eloquent writer. Well, we'll definitely check it out. I always appreciate those pointers. So let's see here. Two more questions for you, Brian, and let's see if you, uh, did you have like a, a best day, week, moment at Schneider over the last 15 years? Um, you know, that's, that's a great question. It comes in spurts and, you know, there's days, uh, certainly days you remember, um, I think I, so in my in one of my um, old roles, I used to work for um, my my role was actually reported to the board of directors for Schneider, and um, so there's of course you're spending a lot of time working with the executives and um, and um, with the board of directors, and so there's a lot of positive moments I would take out of that from a you know being able to influence and and provide feedback and also to get you know really good coaching from folks that have been um, doing this a long time and. Very successful people, obviously, folks that are on our board of directors are you know, very successful. Uh, so that, I think, has been really helpful. I think, um, you know, the team that I'm surrounded by, for the most part, day in and day out currently, is just a phenomenal team. And, you know, I'd say that if you weren't recording here, um, really just, uh, you know, some amazingly sharp people, people that know this industry so well, people that are able to um, work well with, um, you know, uh, generating the culture for the team. And a guy like uh, Jay-Z, Jason Zerasky, um, Jason sits next to me mm. when our office is open. Um, yeah. Just an incredibly sharp guy. Um, so, you know, there's times when you have conversations with him. There's a guy like Deke uh, who's uh, always looking out for people. He's always got others' um, best interests at heart. Um, you know, Aaron, obviously, is just a phenomenal leader and somebody who just is her you know, excitement is contagious. Um, you got um, Ben, who just knows the market in and out and is unafraid to um, just kind of call a spade a spade and, and get on with it. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, all of the, the leadership team with the, um, the sales folks, you know, the Mark and Adrian and Matt and Rodney and uh, Lisa's just an incredible, um, incredible colleague. We work together a lot in a lot of different projects. And so... You know, I don't know if it's so much a day or a week, but there's times, and, and I'll call it um, maybe groupings of, of years and experiences with teams that stick out 
is very positive. Um, so it's, you know, like most people will say, it's interacting with really, really smart people. And one of the things that China brings to the board is um, that capability to, to work with really, really smart people. I love the answer. <laughs> I mean, it, just working with that kind of talent on a daily, weekly, monthly basis is, you know, very vital for yourself and, and uh, it helps us, uh, helps yourself and, and, you know, learn as much as possible from these other people that are probably, you know, books, uh, staying up with the, the, in, the industry topics, uh, whatever it may be. Uh, there's a lot of expertise in all those names that you name. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. They've been doing it for a long time and very successful at it. So if, if you, uh, well, not if, I guess, uh, if you had to give advice to uh, a Schneider associate or maybe a, uh, a person going into college, maybe a daughter, son going into college, <laughs> uh, eager, smart, uh, what kind of advice would you give them of uh, tips to succeed? Well, it probably would be different. My kids have been very, um, very consciously trying to kind of step away from telling them and giving them advice. You know, I'll relay a lot of stories about my past in hopes that maybe that's something that they, they learn from both positive and negative. Um, if it was somebody coming into an organization like Schneider, I probably would be more intentional because at that point they've kind of made their mind up with a lot of things. Um, you know, there, there's going to be mistakes. Uh, you will find successes, but along the way you're going to find mistakes and let them be lessons, learn from them. Um, don't jump to finding a place where you can blame other people when you get into a situation where you're in a really difficult um, spot. You know, um, own up. If it, if, you, if it was your issue, own up to it. Explain how it's going to be resolved and how you'll learn from it. Um, you know, a lot of people, I think, they'll tell you, work hard and, um, you know, um, find a mentor or something like that might be some of their, their advice. And that's all good stuff. Um, but I think in the, in the heat of it, again, it goes back to that humility and ego thing is, you know, be honest about your mistakes. Don't try to hide from them and try to, try to learn from them and take it and make it a positive is career advice I would give to somebody. Uh, Bob, I talk about that a lot in uh, the Ride of a Lifetime book. Uh, mm-hmm. Yeah. And it, seems, it seems like an e- kind of an easy thing to do, but, you know, as you're going through your career, it's definitely a tough thing to realize and, and intentionally make sure you're doing. Well, it's like you said, you got to swallow your pride sometimes, and uh, it's not easy to do if you really had a big uh, you know, F up. Um, it's, it's, uh, it's hard to do sometimes, and... Um, but in the end, uh, I think you'll be respected more for acknowledging that yet yeah, there was a mistake and I, I, I can do better next time and, and we will do better next time. And it was on me or it was on our team or you know, to, to take the ownership of it instead of just kind of pointing the direction somewhere else. I know I said real quick, I, I forgot I didn't ask this question. Do you have a favorite failure yours that you, you uh, like thought was Dan? or thought was a huge screw up and then but you actually learned a ton from it i did um when i was a young book out of college um i um 
I was working for Arthur Anderson again, as I mentioned, and um, one of the things that we had to do was, so we'd work with public uh, companies that wanted to become public. Um, so you're basically going from a, um, in this particular case, it was a company that was literally operating out of shoeboxes full of receipts and checkbooks and trying to put together financial statements that you would see published on you know, the SEC's website. Mm -hmm. And uh, we, we got through all that. We got through, it was months of grueling, um, you know, basically getting this company in fighting shape to be a publicly traded company. And we went down to the underwriters down in Chicago and we're sitting in a room with very expensive uh, table full of people, a lot of lawyers, a lot of bankers, a lot of accountants. And I'm kind of off in the corner as this young guy uh, out of college and my sole job is to make sure when they make a change, they're going through and making these changes over the course of about two days. Uh, as they make a change, anytime there's this table on a schedule, you just gotta make sure it fits. That's all you gotta do. You have one job, here for two days, you got one job. Well, guess what happened? <laughs> one got through, it didn't foot. And we realized it about a week later and I'm back in the office in Milwaukee and I'm just about as low as you can get. Um, mm -hmm. Tired, working long hours for months at a time. And then somebody comes over and says, hey, what happened here? This doesn't foot. And for those that aren't accountants, footing means it just totals up to this balance at the bottom. So one plus two plus three is gonna show six at the bottom, right? You know, it's kinda pretty straightforward. In the end, it was a draft copy and uh, you know, it was something that was published to the world. Um, it was something that could be fixed. It wasn't a final version and we worked through it, but it was just one of those uh, situations where, especially early in your career, um, you learn the world goes on mm -hmm. and you, 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 again, learn from it, um, own up to it. And um, thankfully there was you know, a pathway. There was actually an individual uh, who took me at the time, Jerry Schwartz, uh, a guy that I'll, uh, just an incredible individual uh, those, if you're listening to this, you know Jerry, uh, just a, an incredible human being, uh, took me for a beer after that and just, uh, you know, talked me off the, off the cliff there and said, you know, it's gonna be okay. <laughs> doesn't seem like a big deal to have a, you know, a, a, a table that doesn't foot, but at the time that was my one job and I, and I failed at it. So that was a career failure that I look back on and say, okay, I learned a lot from that and life does go on and we will be okay. So that's the one that sticks out. I mean, learning, having those failures early on and, and learning from them. And, uh, you know, I think if you don't have some humility, then it's tough to learn from these failures, you know, because then you're never taking responsibility. And, I, you know, we keep going back to the, the ego and the humility part. But, you know, it, it's so true. You need to expect failure and then uh, try to figure out what you can learn from it and apply, you know, and take responsibility from it if it is your fault. Because uh, if you don't, you're not going to learn from it. And these are the most powerful learning experiences. We hope, we hope so, right? Yeah. <laughs> well, hey, Brian, I appreciate your uh, time today. And uh, thanks for joining the podcast. Thanks for having me on, Ronnie. It's uh, something I, uh, I really enjoy listening to your podcast. And I, I hope you keep it up. I continue to learn, learn more from... Uh, listening to the folks that you're working with. So uh, thanks for having me on. Yeah, no problem. Thanks again. See ya.